0: Welcome to this podcast series, Magic and Mayhem, Discover the Secrets to Creating Magnificent Books for Kids and Teens, with the Australian Writers' Centre, one of the world's leading centres for writing courses. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm founder of the Australian Writers' Centre, and through this series, we're bringing you a curated group of wonderful authors who specialise in writing for children. You may have heard some of them in our regular podcast, which comes out weekly, called So You Want to Be a Writer. As this podcast series rolls out, which is a pop-up podcast series, you'll hear from authors who specialise in picture books, chapter books, middle-grade fiction and young adult books. Some writers write across all of these age groups. Finally, we also hear from publishers of children's books. Download the whole series and it's like having your very own library so that you can find out all you need to know about the industry. If you're listening to this podcast, chances are you are interested in writing for one or several of these age groups, you know, from picture books to children's, middle grade, young adults. But make sure you listen to all of the episodes because you will discover ideas and techniques that you can apply to your own creative process, regardless of the age group. Today's interview is with Australian writer Jen Storer. Jen has written a swag of books for kids, both standalone books and middle grade series, When Alison Tate, my co-host on So You Want to Be a Writer, spoke to her, Jen had just released her first picture book, Clary's Pig Day Out, illustrated by Sue DeGennaro. Since then, Jen has released another picture book and has one more due out in 2019. Jen is a really well-established kids author, but her path has had its bumps. Her first book, I Hate Sport, was rejected and accepted on the same day. Even after she had found success as a middle-grade author, Jen found it hard to write a picture book. Her inner critic kept wielding its ugly head. Fortunately, Jen was able to, as she says, write from the heart and destroy her inner critic. She has now added picture books to her impressive lineup of published works. As you'll hear, Jen's success and drive has come from feeding her passion and constantly honing her skills. Picture books can seem deceptively simple on the surface – but understanding the intricacies and their hidden layers can set your manuscript on the path to publication. The online course Writing Picture Books with the Australian Writers' Centre will give you the essential steps you need to write your own story gem. If you're interested in exploring your skills in this area, go to writercentre.com.au to check out the current course dates. Go to writercentre.com.au slash picturebooks. It's interesting to hear how diverse Jen is. She's a full-time writer and writes for many age groups. On top of that, she also draws, studies, teaches, and spends time on her blog. I really admire the way Jen keeps learning and keeps changing, and I think that contributes to her success as an author.
1: Jen Storer has written 18 books for children, including the best-selling Truly Tan series, for which she won a 2014 David Award, and the acclaimed gothic fantasy Tenzi Farlow and The Home for Mislaid Children, which was shortlisted for everything from the CBCA Book of the Year Awards to the Prime Minister's Literary Awards in 2010. Her latest book is also her first foray into picture books, Clary's Pig Day Out, illustrated by Sue Gennaro. I'm not yep. sure if I... Did I pronounce that correctly,
2: Jan? narrow, yeah.
1: Lovely. Okay. So welcome to the program and uh, thanks very much for coming along to have a chat with us
0: today. Thank you,
1: Al. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's start at the beginning. Um, what was your first published novel and how did it come about?
0: Uh,
2: my first published book was A Little Aussie Chomp. Oh, if right. You, yeah. If you remember the uh, Penguin series, they did nibbles, bites and chomps and uh, so that was the first book I think that came out in 2003 oh, okay. and um, that came about in a really strange way because I had gone back to school in my 30s I had a bit of a um, a bit of a midlife crisis
1: <laughs> <An early one. laughs>
2: well my husband left me so that sort of started oh, all rolling and I had a little baby and I thought oh, I need to really do something that I really, really want to do rather than doing things that everybody expects of me. And so I, I had this big change and I came to Melbourne and I enrolled at Monash University and instead of taking a really wise course, I decided to do um, literature. Oh. <laughs>
1: Excellent, very practical, very practical.
2: This is your chance, Jen, because I had been a nurse and a public servant and all sorts of practical things and it was just, I was dying on the inside. So um, so I went off to uni and um, I did a BA and I just loved every single minute of it. I did a very traditional BA, you know, Shakespeare and Milton and all that sort of stuff. And, um, and then when I came out, I was like, okay, I've got a piece of paper, I've got about $11 in the bank, what am I going to do? And uh, it was just this weird course of um, synchronicity where a friend of mine had just started working at Black Dog Books, Mm -hmm. which was a children's publisher in Gertrude Street in Fitzroy. And um, she said, you know, maybe you could get some work experience there, you know, Um, give Andrew, and it was Andrew Kelly owned it then, Mm -hmm. give Andrew a call and see what happens. And I thought, okay, take a risk. Yeah, so cause it was a bit of a sliding doors thing because I was hmm. still I still had I had my suit prepared for an interview that week for a drug rep job. Oh, wow! <laughs> and this other thing, so I called Andrew and he said, "Sure, come in and you can do a week's work experience." And so I went into Black Dog Books and um, ended up staying there, and uh, it was just
1: as a, an editor,
2: as an everything. Oh, I was right. I was, yeah, I was called the glue. Andrew used to call me the glue. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah, so I got... Interesting
1: get... job description. <laughs> <laughs> what did you do in your last job? I was the glue. I was the glue.
2: So I kind of did what what uh, everybody wanted me to do. You know, I just went from project to project to project, sometimes rewriting manuscripts, sometimes editing, sometimes designing, working things up. I was really heavily involved in working things up in creative development. Right. Uh, yeah, so I just learnt... The industry, the, the educational, basically that side of the industry, really, really thoroughly. It was a, um, it was a baptism of fire.
1: And it, how long were you there for doing
2: that? I was about there for I think I was there for about maybe eighteen months. Okay, it wasn't a long time, but it was felt like a long time because I learned so much and it was so full on. It was so much fun. It was just amazing. And there were a lot of um, a lot of Australian illustrators and authors and stuff who were still they were out there but they were still finding their feet. So I was sort of going through with a lot of people who are now really established, Right. So, you know, Lee Hobbs who's now our children's laureate. You know, I remember working on some of his stuff, Terry Denton, Mitch Bain. Yeah, I got wow. to meet lots of amazing people during that time. Craig Smith I worked very close with, closely with for a long time. Um, yeah, so it was this amazing experience, yeah.
1: And how
2: did you go from that to well, writing? I, I, left, I left BDB and I went to Mimosa, which was um, bought out by McGraw Hill while I was there, again in the sort of same capacity. And so I was doing a lot of educational writing. So I really cut my teeth on educational writing. Bad. Um, and then, but in the meantime, I was thinking I really want to do something for trade. And so I was working on this little, little book, just this little book called I Hate Sport. <laughs>
1: From the heart, was it, Jen? Sorry? Was it written from the heart? I hate sports. from the heart
2: because I'd been working on a, a sporting series back at BDB. Oh, right. One afternoon I was sitting around with Andrew having a coffee and I said, it's just ironic that I'm working on a sporting series, you know, having to ring up all these elite athletes and people and, you know, I don't even know who I'm talking to. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I said, you know, I said, I hate sports. Someone needs to write a book about that. There's plenty of kids out there that hate sport." And so I thought, hang on a minute, I might do it myself. So that's what was happening in the background. Um, And and that was just a little love project on the side. But, yeah, so I sent it out to a variety of educational, of of trade publishers. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember I got a rejection and an acceptance on the same day. Oh, wow. Yeah, six months later.
1: Oh, Wow. On yeah. the same day, That's well, that's a coincidence for you. It yep. just goes to show you the, the way the publishing industry works, isn't it?
2: That's right. That's right. And it depends on how a publisher is placed. You know, I Hate Sport was only little, so um, it had to sit in a series. So it was perfect for an Aussie chomp. So Penguin were really well placed to publish it. Yep. Um, whereas some of the other publishers, they, they, they would put out a little 13,000-word book just on its own. It's not worth it.
1: So, um, so were you drawn to children's fiction because your first experience in publishing was with children's fiction or was there another reason? For
2: yeah, that? very much so, very much so. I, I mean, I'd always loved children's fiction yeah. loved, and I had fiddled about and tried to write uh, picture books way back in the 80s when I was nursing. Oh, okay. Uh, and then yeah. I got all the rejection slips and whatnot. Uh, but, um, but, yeah, it was really a turning point when I went to BDB because I did – when I came out of uni, I kind of had my sights set on screenwriting. I absolutely love cinema, and I'd done a lot of. I'd, I did a, a double major in in um, lit and cinema. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah. So screenplays were kind of my thing that I was really mucking around with. But yeah, it was are just... you
1: still writing screenplays now? Like, do you so, because your whole career has basically been in children's fiction of yeah. uh, different age groups? Yeah, um, do you? Do you have a love project of a a screenplay
2: or a novel? I draw on screenplay uh, writing all the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, It really influences how I write books and and films really influence me. And I actually adapted one of my books into a screenplay, one of my novels, just for the exercise, um, which was fantastic. Yeah, And I actually put it on the blacklist, which is this uh, screenplay thing in um, Hollywood. You can, oh. yeah. You can pay to put your, your book on there and have it assessed right, your, right. your screenplay, and it and did, did well. it, it did well. It came, I think, I got an eight out of ten, oh. and some really lovely feedback. But I just haven't had time to follow it up.
1: Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> so, is there Do you have a preferred age group that you really like to write for, as far as I the children's like, fiction?
2: Yeah, I really like to write middle grade. Uh, you know, for ten, sort of ten year old, eight to ten year olds, because they're they're really good readers. And they adore story, but they're not—they don't have attitude yet. You know, they're, they're not dealing with um, puberty or any of those sorts of things. So they're really focused on books and stories, and so they really live in the stories that you write. Yeah, I just get it from the kids that write to me. They—they they read my books repeatedly. They'll write and say, "I have read Truly Tan six times," and you know, or "I went to Scotland and I forgot my Truly Tan book, and I was beside myself." Sort of. <laughs> beautiful it's just the best feedback any writer can have is that you know that kids just live in the stories and they send suggestions and um outlines for, for the next book and title suggestions they make videos and send you videos of themselves dressed up as the characters and doing stuff so yeah, it's a wonderful world—the world of the ten-year-old.
1: <laughs> so let's talk about Truly Tan for a moment, because it is a truly successful series. Did you see what yeah. I did there? Did yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, arm on fire. <laughs> did you did you always have it planned as a series? Like, no. how do you know that a book is going to be a series? No. Uh, oh, there you go. Yeah,
2: it can. All these things can happen really accidentally. So truly tan was um, uh, just a little standalone book that I was working on on the side, and I uh, gave while I was writing Tenzi Faro, actually, and uh, I gave it to Penguin, and they really loved it, and they said, "Hey, we should make this into a series." And I thought, "Oh, <laughs> okay, um, all right." So that it was it. Was Penguin that sort of came up with the idea of okay. making it into a series, and so they published the first the first one and they renamed it and had a very long, complicated name and a whole lot of things happened and it just went Mm. out into the world and disappeared without a trace. Oh. Yeah, and I had already written – this is a big story. So I had already written book two without a contract and um, spent the best part of a year sort of writing book two and unfortunately because book one failed, there was no market for book two. So I just had to shelve the project. So there was a lot of tears. Yeah, really? (laughs) But, you know, in my heart I kind of didn't give up because on Tan herself and on the stories because I just knew I had this really, really adorable character that I loved writing about. And the few kids that did read the first book were very, very passionate. It had, like, this little cult following. And so I... I kept it in my heart, I, I, there's nothing I could do with it but I just kept it in my heart and then out of the blue, you know, I don't know, three or four years later I opened up my email and had an email from HarperCollins and they said that they would love me to write some middle grade fiction and did I have anything and I, and it just so happened, more, more synchronicity that Tan had gone out of print that same week ah. the rights had reverted to me and I said to Collins, well, I." You can have truly tan if you want, and they were like, "What? <laughs> yes, please!" And so that's how it started. And so, so they, they
1: took truly tan on, and so you truly tan on. And they, they, they put the first book out again.
2: They repackaged the second book. It, repackaged it, renamed it, gave it back its original title, um, and uh, contracted me for four books straight up. And then by the time I was sort of halfway through the third one, they said, I think this – they said we'd like to make this bigger and so now it's an eight-book series, so. So the package –
1: so I guess that just goes to show you, doesn't it? Like, because um, you've got something there now that is really successful and has been, you know, really well received both, um, you know, commercially and critically. Um, And so – but, you know, in its first sort of incarnation, it disappeared. So. Yeah, like, what do you it think the difference to,
2: was? It got off to such a wobbly start. Well, I, I think we really lost our way with the naming of it. I think because it, it was called um, Tan Callaghan's Secret Spy Files, The Mystery of Purple Haunt. No one can remember that.
1: No, whereas Truly
2: Tan, you're not going to forget it. Tan, bang. You just you get it straight away. Yeah. Um, the, the cover was a um, bitsy. You know, it was kind of the illustration was gorgeous. Caroline McGill did the illustration and I love Caroline and I, I want to work with her on more things and we're good friends. But the way it was all designed and put together didn't showcase the illo properly and it didn't make Tan stand out as an iconic figure, whereas Claire Robertson, her illustration and her approach, is, it, it's very iconic. Mm-hmm. I you just know Tan straight away and she's very accessible. And that that age group also, they like to imagine that they can draw the characters as well as the illustrator. Okay. Yeah, so they really do, this is what I've been noticing, that they really do go for lovely, clean lines.
1: Right. Yeah. So the covers, I mean, what we're basically saying here then is that the title and the cover are absolutely critical.
2: They're huge. Yeah. they huge with kids. Yeah. I can just see it. Sometimes I've done focus groups and i've laid books out just just to get and said you know which books do you like here and 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 without a word of light they will shun particular books that i know are really good books but they won't even pick them up they won't even touch them
1: (laughs) you know they're so visual that's really interesting so for a series to take off though it has to be about more than the cover so what do you think the pre like you know like because i know that quite a few of our listeners are writing you know Uh, children's fiction and they're writing fiction that they would like to be a series so you know the prerequisites of a series that really take off I mean clearly that protagonist that main character is essential
2: yeah you've got to have a really strong main character but you it's also I think personally I think voice is just absolutely crucial for kids Mm. you've got to get the voice right and it's got to be a very warm and very um, inviting sort of voice and you've got to create a world that they want to keep re-entering. So it needs to be very visceral. Mm. um, So I use a lot of food in my books.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And that's got nothing to do with how you feel about food at all, right? No,
2: no. But, you know, I know kids really respond to it. They just love food. Mm. Um, it, It makes it real for them. Uh, so, so yeah, it's really important that you get all those little things. You pay attention to those sorts of details. Mm.
1: So, you write both series fiction and standalone. Do you have a preference? Like, do you is there do you prefer to write one or the others? Or
2: I find myself getting a bit resistant every time I'm lining up to write another Tan book. Oh. Um, yeah, uh, but then once I'm back in her world, I'm happy again. Okay, but but I do I do like the freedom of standalones. I love, I love, you know, I love creating new worlds and going into new situations and new characters. I find that really stimulating.
1: From a publishing perspective, though, the series is particularly in that age group is so incredibly it's, popular, isn't it? Yeah,
2: it's, kids just want more. They're very. I mean, they come up to you at launches and say, "When's the next one?" I just want to put my head on the desk and cry.
1: But I also like parents as a, as a parent and also as an author who goes to these things as well, you get um, parents going to you oh can you just this you know they love finding a new series that the kids will read because then they know what the next eight books are going to be whereas right. as, as opposed to scratching around for things That's right. that, that they need to, that they need to you know start again. So I, I get why I yeah, don't I understand so. why it's so popular. Yeah.
2: And, and particularly, I'm finding that particularly with Danny Best because Danny Best is wooing a lot of boys that wouldn't read normally. Oh, and oh, so great. It's great, yeah. But so I'm getting letters from mums saying, when's the next one, when's the next one? He's actually reading, you know. So they want to strike while the iron's hot.
1: So you've got how many Danny? Because Danny Best came out last year. Yes, yeah, so there's
2: right four in that series.
1: And at the what, the four of them are all out already?
2: No, 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 no. They're coming out once a year, one, one, one a year. Yeah, so, yeah, the next one comes out this year, later this year. I think it's August. Danny Best is, um, they're very, they're really complex to pull together because they're so heavily illustrated. So Mitch and I work really hard on, on the layout. And Steph, the designer, is, oh, my God, she works so hard on those books. Yeah. So they're deceptively complex. So you wouldn't want to. I don't think you'd want to be churning them out any faster because they'd lose their quality. They've got lots of running gags and marginalia and yeah. and graphic little graphic sort of um, comicky strips and all sorts of things going on. So they, there's a lot of work. Yeah. So
1: you and Mitch collaborate quite closely right from the start with those mm-hmm. or do you write That's the words and then...? I write the words,
2: them? then uh, the manuscript goes to Mitch and then uh, she starts doing illos and, you know, sort of mocking stuff up and then we physically meet. So we actually met last week okay. and she, she has miles and miles of illustrations to go through and we just work out what works best. Mm. Yeah, and so like because Danny Best books are short stories yeah. uh, and so um, we started out with six short stories but we've already culled two and they can go into book three because we need to open it up so there's lots of air and lo- around the text and lots of space for the illustrations because the last thing we want the Danny Best books to look like is a school reader. Yeah, they don't want to look like hard work. illustration know? plonked here and there. Yeah, you know, they yeah. need to really work together and they're really inviting world. And lots of space, lots of, like, there, there are practically empty pages in the Danny Best book, maybe just a paw print or a dog poo or something. <laughs> dog poo.
1: lovely. Do you enjoy the collaborating with an illustrator like that? Absolutely.
2: It's awesome. I love it. Mm. my publisher at Harper um Lisa Berryman is extremely hands-on and it's just a joy she really believes in bringing creatives together Mm. Um, a lot of publishing houses keep the the creatives apart and that's for different reasons I'm not saying it's bad but but from my perspective as a as an author I just love it I love being in the same room and because that's when the fire really starts to crackle (laughs)
1: Yeah, yeah, you bounce off each other and and you get something completely new.
2: Yeah, and we get as silly as each other and and stuff comes out of that.
1: So when you sit down to write um, a a book, whatever it may be, um, say you were going to sit down tomorrow to start a new something, do you plan your books out or do you just start with an idea and, and write
2: I, I work in three different ways depending on the project. I've, I've, I've figured that out over the years. Yeah, so um, some books I write organically and I just let it unfold. Mostly with fantasy I work organically. I can't plan fantasy. Mm. I get too bored mm. and it comes out really contrived. Mm. Um, and so Tenzi Fowler was written organically and The Accidental Princess was also organic. Um for truly tan i i now plot those in advance because i have to w- write one a year and i have to be fairly fairly quick uh-huh. so there's no time to ramble around but also because it's a mystery so you've got to have a bit of a clue of where you're going mm. Mm. so that that and then i also have another way where i um, write organically then i stop and i plot a little bit and then i start writing organically again and then i stop and i plot a little bit so that's kind of my i call that my Swedish chef <laughs> <laughs> method um and, and
1: what, so
2: what do you use that for i used that for the 14th summer of angus jack which is right. my fantasy novel that came out late last year yeah that's yeah. more of
1: a ya sort of an older reader right?
2: uh, no no that's middle grade oh, upper middle grade,
1: grade. sorry mm. yep yep so sixty five
2: thousand words i think so very much um and also that was a sort of a project a bit like Tenzi, sort of written on the side so i would work on it for a couple of months and then put it aside and then come back to it a few months later and
1: so you wrote that as a as a side project that wasn't contracted at the time, you just basically were waiting to see what would happen with it?
2: Yeah, I was just playing with it on the side, Yep.
1: And do you have an agent? Like, Do you work with an agent?
2: Mm, I do now. Okay. I, I didn't have an agent for a long time. Um, so I now have Claire Forster from Curtis Brown. She's oh, been okay. looking after me for about three years, I think.
1: And what uh, made you make the switch to having an agent?
2: Um, I just felt like I needed somebody there to help me juggle all the contracts and all the bits and pieces. Things were falling through the cracks. Mm-hmm. Just and um, look, I don't know whether I can give you a hard and fast answer. It's just almost like a psychological thing. I I like having somebody on my side who's who's sort of mm, monitoring my career a bit and putting out feelers overseas and mm-hmm. you know just pushing things along gently for mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. and you know, a it kind of holds my hand. It's really nice.
1: <laughs> well, that's one of those things, isn't it? Because it's a question that um, I often get asked, that we are often asked, is, you know, you, do, do you need an agent and, mm-hmm. and why would you? And, and it's, I always find it interesting to ask people because yeah. not all published authors use an agent no. um, and the reasons why people do vary. So I just yes. think it's always a good a good question to yeah. put
2: out there. Claire and I sort of established early on that she she doesn't get terribly involved in the creative process with me. I, it's always very much myself and Lisa, my publisher. Mm-hmm. Um, Claire just really looks after the contracts and all the, the overseas, the rights, you know, rights and what they're like. They can be a bit of a nightmare. So Yeah, so, um, yeah, so okay. she does all that.
1: All right, so your new book is a picture book and this is a new area for you. Was there anything you found surprising about making the switch to that genre?
2: Well, I had a lot of trouble writing picture books. I couldn't, I was stuck with picture books. I just couldn't pull them off. Mm. Um, Even though I was writing all these novels over the years, every time I sat down to write a picture book, I went into, that that inner critic just got really savage. Mm. And I had this thing in my head that, that a picture book had to be really worthy, and so so every time I sat down, I had all the CBCA were sitting with me, <laughs> <laughs> and raising their eyebrows and saying this was rubbish, you know. Um. I just and so I kept giving up, and so, or, or I would write really earnest, really awful serious books. You know, I wrote one based on the Lady of Shalott.
1: I'm like, what? Oh wow!
2: What okay. was this thing? Um, and sort of oh, I don't know. Anyway, so. Um, so Clary came out of um, – one day I was in a cafe and I didn't – I was just doing some people watching. I didn't even have a pad and pen with me. Just having a cup of tea and I saw this older woman. I think she was a grandmother and she had like a little boy on her knee. He was about three and they had one of those – you know how in cafes I often have those really crappy picture books? Mm. <laughs> sort of mass-produced, soulless things. Anyway. She was reading this book to the little boy and I was watching and the little boy was so desperate to get into the story. You could really tell by his body language that he really wanted to enjoy it, but he wasn't. Mm. Um, he wasn't enjoying it at all. And I just thought, what would I do if I had that kid on my knee and I was trying to read him a really bad picture book? And I thought, oh, I'd make up words. I'd make up really silly words and I'd flip it all around and just make it really silly. And then I thought... Hang on a minute! <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute! <laughs> that could be an idea for a picture. And so I sort of gathered up my belongings and scabbled off home and started mucking around with words. And that's pers-
1: always loved.
2: Yeah, mm. yeah. So it was a number of things at play though, because I was also I've been studying art for about three years, just at you know night classes. And at that point, I was learning how to draw circles. <laughs> Drawing a lot of eggs and um and also cakes and stuff like that. And I don't know, out of all that, this character, this funny old farmer who loved chickens called Clary kind of emerged literally overnight. You know, when he did emerge, he emerged quickly and um he started talking and uh he got all his words mixed up and I just thought, Oh, you're adorable. Let's tell your story. And so I kind of I lost my fear. And I just wrote from the heart. And that's what I always tell authors, you know, write from the heart. Don't worry about critics, judges or uh, the market. Just Mm. write from the heart and then your heart will respond to somebody else's heart.
1: Which is interesting. And the other thing I find interesting too because I read your blog, which is called Baxter Street and which is just beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, And you often share pages and thoughts from your journal, your diary, and you have a lot of illustrations but you – I, I wondered, is, is illustrating your own picture book at some stage something that you would do?
2: No, no. Why is that? No, I don't know. I just don't. Well, I know. I just know how much work is involved and how amazingly skilled the illustrators are. I just admire them so, so much. And it's. I just know that, that I'm not cut out for that, you know. I love doing art and I love drawing, but I don't want to make it something that I have to do. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah.
1: So with your journal, do you journal every day?
2: Writing or or art? Either. Yeah, either. Uh, Accidentally every day but not purposely. Right, okay. Yeah, so I would never, ever tell anyone to write every day. That would just destroy me if I had to write every day, if I felt that was uh, part of it. Um, Because some days you just don't want to write and you just want to (laughs) look and take stuff in. Uh, I do... I do do morning pages. I'm back on that train at the moment, um, which is from The Artist's Way. So she, um, Julia Cameron, advises you to do three pages stream of consciousness every morning. And uh, I did that. When I was first starting out, I did that for about six years straight. It really kept me saying I find it more beneficial than meditation. Okay. And, then, and then sometimes I drop off the train and I don't do them, sometimes for years. And in the last six months, I've just come back to morning pages and I'm loving doing it again. Okay. It's, it's very, it's almost like a sacred place. Like I get up before everybody else in the house and I light the candle and I sit down with my journal and away I go.
1: So,
2: you're actually, hand like you're actually writing, mm. hand absolutely handwriting. Yeah, yeah. So, huh. a lot of it you can't even read when you go back. I say, I wouldn't
1: be able to read mine at
2: all. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But I do find that ideas tend to flow, and it's it's really really good this sort of brain dump. And also, you know, it can be really whingy and boring. You wouldn't want to read back over it. <laughs> <laughs> it's literally stream of consciousness. So, mm.
1: how do you um like? How do you fit writing? You know, is, are you, do you write full time? Would you call yourself a full time writer? Like, how do you fit writing uh, yes, into your life?
2: Yes, I'm a full time writer, but it's not so bad for me now because um, my kids have left home. So, um, you know, my days are my own now. Uh, so I just sort of I schedule everything, and I have, I have you know what I work out what I have to do, how many words a day I have to do, how many words the, you know I have to achieve, and I and I'm pretty good. I'm pretty disciplined i suppose because
1: you're In- working on multiple projects aren't you at, yeah. at any given time
2: yeah so i have to be pretty pretty careful about how i schedule things mm. but that's not to say that i don't stuff up all the time because i <laughs> Like at the moment, you know, I'm just in meltdown over Truly Tan. I, the sixth book, you know, I've just got another. I just had a month's um, extension. It's like handing in an essay um, from my publish, publisher because this is a busy year for me there's a lot of other stuff going on. So, um, yeah, it's challenging.
1: So you've got a looming deadline and that horrible feeling that comes with having to hand in your homework. That's
2: right. So I've got to write the sixth Truly Tan book, the third Danny Best book, and I'm doing. I'm studying business online at the moment um, because wow. I'm interested in doing some other stuff. Plus, I'm teaching creative writing and yeah. Nice. So there's a lot going on, but it's all about scheduling and being. Routine. Mindful. Yeah. <laughs> and I learned this thing today, actually. I wrote this thing called because um, creative people, you would know yourself, often have a lot of trouble saying no. Yes. You know, and uh, so I heard this thing about today about jump on the no train. <laughs> right. And when anybody asks you to do anything, try to make your first response no, <laughs> even if it's only just internal, right, yeah. and then really think about it. Yeah. Really think about is this the best use of my time? Yeah. Will I spend time resenting this and regretting um, because I won't get that time back again?
1: Yeah, which is so true. So so you're practising the no train, are you?
2: Uh, as from this week.
1: Okay. <laughs> it's a for me. Keep but... us posted on how you get on with it. <laughs> <laughs> you say your answer to that is, no, Alison, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> yes. exactly. All right, so let's talk about how do you feel about the idea because, um, you know, with as many projects as you have, you must spend a bit of time with promotion like it's part of the job now mm-hmm. how do you feel about this idea of the you know the author platform do you do a lot of um are you active on social media i know you, you as i said you have your website you have your blog
0: mm-hmm. um
1: do you consciously do any other things to kind of build your profile or sort of keep keep it all going
2: uh i my blogging is really important to me mm-hmm. uh, i don't do a lot of school visits i i I did do a fair few for a while there and then I realised that that was just, school visits exhaust me. It's not just the visit. I enjoy the visit but it's the lead up to it. It's everything that goes around the school visit, trying to get there, find out where it is, transport, yes. parking. And I just thought, you know what, I'm better off writing. Yes. <laughs> I need to master my craft, not, not go running around schools. Yes. Um, so, so I don't do a lot of that. I, look I'm a very I'm a plotter you know I don't I just keep my eye on the ball and I keep moving forward and to me at the end of the day what's really important is the book yep. you know the quality of the book not my platform not my twitter feed not how many followers I've got on facebook
1: yep. it's it's
2: yeah so that's really my focus yeah
1: So as far as, like, does your publisher expect you to do promotion work at all? Like, do you have any, are there sort of, do you feel any pressure around that at all? There are a few things,
2: but they're certainly not hardcore um, at all. Uh, But I am going on tour, I use inverted commas, um, (laughs) later later this year. It's called the Telling Tales Tour, and that's, that's funded by HarperCollins, and so, they're sending myself and jude Rossell and kate nanistead Um really fun
1: <laughs> what a
2: great team okay so we're flitting about we're going brisbane sydney melbourne and regional victoria i think yeah. so that's that's sort of looming and i'm looking forward to that but i'm also a bit stressed about it as well because it'll take me away from my work mm um and there's deadlines around that time Mm -hmm. and you know you're on the road for three days and for someone like me i'm an introvert it takes me a couple of days to come down Mm -hmm. Uh, i can't and i can't write when i'm in transit when i'm on the move i need i need my space to write Mm -hmm. so um so that's you know it's a it's a double-edged sort of a thing it's a great opportunity to promote our books and to get out there and meet the readers but it's also very time-consuming and yeah. a, bit, a bit stressful. Yeah.
1: Well, that's the problem, I think, isn't it? As far you know, I think all authors find themselves in the same boat. Of that, you know, yeah. they, they want to write the next book, but they've got to. You sort of got to keep up the interest in the books that you have out there. That's yeah. right.
2: Yeah, mm. yeah. And you know, it can be very, uh, very hard world out there, can't it? In terms mm-hmm. of books, I remember a bookseller once telling me, "Oh, Jen, you know, books have a shelf life of a tub of yogurt." Yeah. I, of course. Thanks <laughs> oh, for that. That's that's really reassuring. <laughs> So you know, your book goes off. Oh. So you do have to take that window of opportunity when it first comes out and there's and interest is at its highest. Mm. Yeah, to promote it.
1: All right. So just to finish up today, um, we have to ask you the big question of your top three tips for writers. Mm-hmm. What um, What three tips would you give aspiring writers?
2: Oh, it's funny you should ask that because I. I just was talking about this to my class the other night. I teach, I create how to write books for children, and uh, I talk about the three P's, which is patience, perseverance, and passion. Oh, there you go. Buddy. And so they're the three things I like
1: that, that I look at you. You've got an actual, you've got a slogan and everything. <laughs> I know a slogan rah rah. Right. So talk me through the three P's. Oh,
2: okay. So patience is very important. I find that very much in aspiring authors that they're in a hurry. Mm. And it's it's a it's a, writing is very difficult, it's very multi-leveled as you know, and you have to really apply yourself and you cannot expect to write a bestseller, just make up making up your mind and sitting down, you know, you, you have to learn the craft. It's just like, you know, I say to my students, I can sing beautiful arias in my head mm. <laughs> but you don't want to hear me open my mouth. You know? <laughs> It's You really have to work at it. It's like anything that's worthwhile. It takes a lot of work. So there's, that's where the patience comes in. Patience also comes in, of course, when you're dealing with the publishing industry, which you know, moves like an old okay. mechanical crab <laughs> the pace, um, can drive you nuts, especially okay. at the beginning. Um, so perseverance is the same sort of thing it's really you know persevering with it hanging in there when when the chips are down just soldiering on and um truly Tam is a good example of perseverance you know yeah, i kept that in my heart i kept it alive and went back to it um, and passion and passion i think is the one that is really easy to overlook but it's really really important because if you're not if you're not writing with passion, then you become really miserable because creative writing is really hard work. Mm. Um, and if you've lost your passion, then you'll, you just won't enjoy the process anymore. Mm. So you need to keep fueling that passion and be very mindful of it and do it regularly, not just, you know, every six months do something. Yes. But I, I think, if, you know, every week you should be immersing yourself in something that reminds you about why you love literature. And that's... That's probably not reading other people's books. You know, it might be for some, but sometimes when you're aspiring and you start reading other people's work, it can be very intimidating. It can actually, yeah, it can actually crush your spirit. So, what would you
1: suggest instead?
2: Anything that makes you feel alive, if, even if it's just walking in nature and makes you feel happy again, or picking up some, uh, you know, poetry from really old poetry from, that you know you're not going to try and Im- imitate, but, but that just brings that feeling, that feeling in your heart when you read something that's just so moving. Or last yes. night I watched a special about the Bronte's. Oh, yeah. You know, and I just thought, oh my God. Uh, yeah. Or I go, go to the movies. The movies just always inspire me. Excellent. All right, Jen, well, thank you so
1: much for your time today. I really appreciate it and I'm sure that our um, listeners will have learned a lot. You had some very interesting stories there. So, um, yeah, thank you very much. Thanks, Sal. It was great. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed the interview. I'm Alison Tate, also known as A.L. Tate, and I'm the internationally published best-selling author of two epic adventure series for kids aged nine plus. There are four books in the Mapmaker Chronicles series, Race to the End of the World, Prisoner of the Black Hawk, Breath of the Dragon, and Beyond the Edge of the Map, and two in my latest series, The Adaban Cipher. The Book of Secrets and The Book of Answers. Find out more about me and my books at alisontait.com. That's a l l i s o
0: n t a i dot Patience, Perseverance and Passion – That is not the first or last time you'll hear those words on this podcast series. Jen definitely knows how time-consuming and slow the publishing process can be. So yes, patience is definitely a virtue. But patience on its own isn't enough, of course. You have to push and persevere. Keep writing. Keep sending out your work. Keep studying and honing your craft. I like the way Jen spoke about passion. Sometimes we think passion is just something you have, but it's not. Sometimes you have to work at it. You have to build your passion sometimes, you know, stoke its fires, keep it going, feed it. If you don't nurture your passion, it will simply fizzle out. So do something today that reminds you why you're passionate about writing. Good luck. You've been listening to Magic and Mayhem with the Australian Writers' Centre. For writing tips, short story competitions, brilliant courses that you can do in person or online, join our wonderful and friendly writing community. It could be the tribe that you're looking for. The best way is to go to writercentre.com.au and sign up to our weekly newsletter. That's writercentre.com.au. And if you want to connect with me personally, just reach out on Instagram or Facebook. I'm Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O on Instagram, but most of my posts on Insta are actually about my art. Or head on over to our regular podcast group on Facebook and connect with me there. Just search for So You Want To Be A Writer podcast community and request to join. It's free. See you in the group.